Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. I want to talk to you a little bit more about Bethlehem, but before moving forward, just uh, some details about those uh, services. Stephen Lane's memorial service is tomorrow in our chapel at 11 a.m. There's a time of visitation beginning at 10.30. And Don Messenger, who passed away on Saturday the 12th, uh, he will be in state at the Wujek Calcutta Funeral Home on Monday the 27th. That's a week from tomorrow. And then the funeral will be on Tuesday the 28th uh, for Don here in our chapel. 10 a.m., there'll be some visitation and uh, 11 a.m. a funeral. Uh, So again, just remember those families in your prayers. Uh, We have a great, great God, Jesus. We've sung about him today, worshiped him. I want to talk to you more about his birthplace, Bethlehem. This morning we sung a great uh, hymn about Christmas, a Christmas carol. It was called A Little Town of Bethlehem. And that has been a beloved Christmas carol since the very first time it was sung, which was in Philadelphia at a church called the Church of the Holy Trinity on Christmas Sunday. Well, yeah, it was Christmas morning. I don't know if it was a Sunday, uh, but it was in the year of 1868. First time that song was sung, and it has been a great carol of the church ever since. And I thought I could give you some background about Bethlehem, some background, some history on the city that was once a small village. When we talk about certain events, when we talk about certain places that are mentioned in the Bible, I want to do my very best to give you background, to give you insight, to give you history. But you know what? Sometimes I just wonder, am I connecting? Am I coming through? Sometimes, from my vantage point, it it can be a struggle. There can be difficulty. And I wonder, is this coming through? And I like to use alternatives when I can, an illustration, maybe a story, or perhaps even a video like we had this morning. It can be helpful. It put a lot of that history into a nice, concise uh, speech or message with the information and there was visuals, and I think that's helpful. And this song, the history of the song, A Little Town of Bethlehem, it came about from a similar, but I'll say very much deeper, deeper struggle of a pastor who was trying to connect with his congregation And he just felt like it was falling flat. And the root of it all, the root of it all was in a word, burnout. And I want to ask you this morning, are you fatigued? Are you burned out? Are you feel like you're on the verge of burnout? I mean, seriously, we've been going through some things this past almost two years now. Has it brought you to the end of your rope? I know it's brought some of us to the end of our rope. And many are feeling 
burned out. And if that's you this morning, I want you to listen to the account of this pastor and how the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, can turn things around. He can turn that burnout back into a flame burning in your heart. And this is a, this is a bit of a, a longer story. I want to give you some details because I'll tell you what, when I read it, I connected with it. And I, took, I read this man's biography. He went through quite a bit. And I'll just say he was a young man. He was a young pastor. He was troubled. He was troubled by distractions to his ministry. He was struggling to connect with his congregation. He had this ministry that was just in crisis. His name was Phillips Brooks. And he was born on December the 13th, 1835, in the city of Boston. Phillips was the second of six sons. His parents, they were good parents. They were Christian parents. He was born into a Christian home. They valued education. They sent him to a school in Boston called the Boston Latin School. It was a classical education school. And that means it taught grammar and logic and rhetoric and it required four years of Latin. So he's very well-versed in Latin. Uh, from that school, he went on to attend Harvard at uh, 16 years of age. He entered Har Harvard. He studied languages. He studied Greek and French and German. He graduated 13th in his class when he was just 19 years old. Fresh out of Harvard, he thought, what, what could he do? Well, he went back to his school. He went back to the Boston Latin School as a teacher. But he found out pretty quickly, it just wasn't a great fit. He was just 19 years old. His students, he had 35 unruly 17-year-old boys. They kind of treated him like a peer. He really wasn't getting respect. And uh, after six months, uh, he resigned. And he wrestled with, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He sought counsel. He went back to the president of Harvard, and he sought counsel. The president of Harvard told him, you need to get into seminary. And others were telling him that too. So he enrolled in uh, the Protestant Episcopal Theological Seminary in Virginia. When he graduated, he took a ministry position. It's called the Church of the Advent in the city of Philadelphia. His preaching was noticed almost immediately, and many began to come and hear his messages, and then other churches began to court him and, and just pull on him. You know, you need to be at our church. Come to my church. Ah, that began to weigh on him a little bit. About two years into his ministry, he had a great, great mentor, a pastor of another church in Philadelphia, a uh, man he highly, highly respected. Uh, that pastor announced he was going to be retiring. And so he called on Phillips Brooks to be a successor. That was a struggle, uh, but Brooks, he accepted this position. It was a bigger sanctuary, a bigger church. It was called the Church of the Holy Trinity in the city of Philadelphia. In 1861, he's just 25 years old. He becomes uh, the rector or the pastor of this church. And he poured himself into the role. I mean, he just poured himself into it. 
he uh, found a well-to-do real estate agent. His name was Louis Redner. And he persuaded Redner to become the church organist. Even though he was doing great in real estate, he was a gifted organist and musician. And uh, Brooks also made Redner his Sunday school superintendent. Their first Sunday school class, they had 30 students. Well, Brooks, was, he was a gifted orator. Uh, he, you know, he had this great education. He had expertise in languages and linguistics. He excelled in preaching. And within a year, the Sunday school had a thousand kids coming. And the church was just brimming with people. But in that same year, the country had entered uh, into a civil war. And that war was getting deeper and deeper. Brooks was an ardent abolitionist. He preached against the evils of slavery. He was very open about uh, how he, it was just, it was unbiblical, this, this scourge of slavery. But the war was beginning to take a toll. As the war progressed, his church was more and more women because the men were off to war, and more of those uh, women began to wear black because they had lost either a husband, they had lost a son, or perhaps they had lost both in the war. And this was, uh, you know, this was wearing on him. This, this young man struggled to be inspirational. He struggled to bring messages of hope to his congregation. How, how in the world could he bring hope-filled messages in the face of such loss? This congregation that was just turning to, to the color black because all, that, all these ladies were wearing their mourning clothes, their, their clothes of grieving. How could he come up with sermons of hope? It was just with difficulty. He prepared for every Sunday morning. It was, it was taxing on him to enter the pulpit, to, to give a message. And then came word, his younger brother George had died. George was a Union soldier. He died from typhoid. Uh, Phillips had to travel back home to Boston, be with his family, to grieve. As the war seemed to, as it might be coming to a close, this pastor, not yet 30 years old, he was tired. He was visibly fatigued. But in the spring of 1865, his spirits began to lift. He was getting encouraged. It seemed like the North was winning battles. It looked like this was it. The, the war would be coming to an end. He was so looking forward to the Lenten season, that spring of 1865. He was looking so forward to being able to preach on Easter Sunday a message of hope. Uh, the week before Easter, on April 9th, 1865, the South, General Lee, surrendered to the North, General Grant, and that effectively ended the Civil War. Now Brooks was looking forward, so forward, to that Easter Sunday. But five days later, Good Friday, 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. The death of a president 
It just upended the plans, not just of Phillips Brooks and the message he was planning for Easter Sunday. It upended the plans of every preacher across the the whole nation. On Easter Sunday morning, his church filled to the rafters. It was beyond capacity of the crowd. Brooks said this. He, He wrote this in some of his notes. They were like children who gather around the hearthstone the night their father dies to tell one another how they loved him and how they mourn his loss. He said of all who were there, or he said to all who were there, we are here this Easter Sunday morning to pour out our tears before the living God in the company of the living. And he went on as best he could to tell of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that brought hope to, you know, the entire world that Jesus had redeemed. Abraham Lincoln's body was uh, put on a train. A train made a slow procession from uh, Washington, D.C., with a destination to be Springfield, Illinois. That was Lincoln's hometown. That's where he was going to be interred. But as that train made its way from Washington, D.C., it had many stops. It would stop at city after city where there'd be a public viewing of the president. The train was going to make a stop in Philadelphia. It arrived the evening of Saturday, April 22nd, and Lincoln's body was placed in Independence Hall. Independence Hall in Philadelphia, that's where the Declaration of Independence was signed. That's where the Constitution was debated. That's where the Second Continental Congress had met. Phillips Brooks was able to make his way to Independence Hall that night and uh, view the president. But before even the president's body had arrived, this young pastor had, he just felt compelled. He had to eulogize the president. He worked diligently and hard on a message that he would preach on Sunday, April 23rd, a week after Easter. He preached from Psalm 78. The end of Psalm 78 speaks of God taking hold of David, pulling him out of the pastures, taking him from shepherd and making him king. Brooks used that as his foundation to talk about his president who was lying in state in Independence Hall. His sermon was immediately requested for publication. It's still quoted today. But after that, the effect of the war, so many who were hurt, so many who were broken, so many broken people, his brother's death, his his president's assassination, it was just all weighing on him. And it just brought him to a point where he was spent. And this pastor, a little over four years as pastor of this church, he was spent. He was burned out. He went to his parish and he talked to them. And he talked about taking some time off. 
What they did is they granted him a one-year sabbatical with salary. They said, you need a break. So he planned a trip. Phillips Brooks looked at this as an opportunity to get refreshed, get revived. He planned a trip abroad. In August of that year of 1865, he boarded a ship from New York, destination London. He wanted to travel through Europe, but he wanted to make it to the Holy Land. What he really wanted to do was follow the footsteps of Jesus, where Jesus went, the cities Jesus was in. He wanted to follow the footsteps of Paul, travel through the cities that the great apostle Paul administered in. And so it was that on Christmas Eve, 1865, Phillips Brooks was in Jerusalem. That evening, he got on a horse. We heard in the video Bethlehem was only six miles south of Jerusalem. They mounted a horse Christmas Eve, and he rode to Bethlehem. He wanted to go to that scene of the nativity. He, as he approached the city, saw the lights there of the church of the nativity, heard some of the voices, but he went out to the fields, and he wrote what he saw. He said the shepherds were still watching over their flocks and some were leading their flocks home to fold. He described the city of Bethlehem as the best looking city in the Holy Land. He ended up attending services at that church of the nativity until 3 a.m. And then he went back to Jerusalem where he spent Christmas Day. Several months later, after traveling through the New Testament cities, Brooks returned to Philadelphia. He was revived. He was energized. And I know what this guy was feeling after a vacation. You know, coming back, and he was ready to preach. He was ready to get back into his ministry. And you know what happened? Church work happened. He gets home, and you know, the church they're in a building program. Hey, pastor, how should we build the tower? What kind of spire should we have? Well, Brooks looked at the architectural drawings. He had ideas, and he got uh, into a contention with the church council, the vestry. Back and forth they went. He felt like he failed. He felt like he failed. He's, he's now in contention with his very own church council about a building program. That started to weigh on him. And then the bishops of the Episcopal Church, this was his church, they had an open quarrel. It was in the newspapers. They were writing about it. The Bishop of America had openly insulted and criticized the Archbishop of Canterbury. Brooks was indignant. How could his bishop do this? He was so rude and and. Imp- imp- impudent and he was unchristian this was his bishop and it just brought more tension into his life then a church in boston needed a pastor and they called on brooks he didn't want to leave his congregation he didn't want to leave his place of ministry he didn't want to take you know walk away from his fold but this church was in boston his hometown his mom, his dad, all, all his uh, remaining brothers, they begin to write him letters. Come to Boston. Come home. You know, be here. Ah. His year-long sabbatical 
even though it wasn't that far in the, in the past, he was longing for it again. He was on the verge of another burnout. And, and he secretly wanted to run. He secretly wanted to run back to the Holy Land. In one of his journals, it said this, I know it wouldn't be good for me to go again. I, tread, I try to be as brave as I can and pat myself on the back and call myself contented. He's still a young pastor. He's just 31, 32. As he prepared his sermons, he desperately wanted to connect with his congregation. He wanted to tell of the beauty, the simplicity, the things he had experienced in the Holy Land, but it just wasn't coming through. He, he just wasn't making the connection. And, and of course, this was a man of words. This was a man of languages. But his eloquence, it was failing him. And he just felt like, I'm not relating with this, this flock of mine. As Advent of 1868 approached, he wanted to somehow tell about Bethlehem. But how? He, he just wasn't connecting. What could he do? Here's what he did. Phillips Brooks, he stopped striving. He stopped striving to find all the right words. This time he didn't run away. He didn't take a sabbatical, but he rested. And he rested in his Lord. He rested in his Lord. He would write this. Christ is the life. First in our souls, to which he enters by his spirit and knowledge and authority and love, so that not we live, but Christ liveth in us. And that is the heart of Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Brooks had gone back to the foundation of his faith. He went back to the, the joy of his salvation, Christ lives in me. It's not what about I'm doing. You know, he stopped striving to find all the perfect words. He, he declared Christ is the life. It's not about me. It's, it's about him. It's not what I'm doing. I got I to stop trying to make something happen. It's Christ in me. It's Christ in me. When he did that, from out of his heart flowed this Christmas Eve depiction of Bethlehem. But it came out in the form of a poem, a song. And it had been singing in his soul since that Christmas Eve of 1865. But it finally flowed out because he had just resigned himself to Jesus Christ. And now he had this poem. He had this song. What better way to present it to his congregation? O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. It was simple. It was beautiful. And it presented the glorious gospel in that second verse. How did it end? We sung it this morning. No ear may hear his coming. But in this world of sin, 
where meek souls will receive him still. The dear Christ enters in. Christ is the life. I don't live any longer, but Christ in me. Brooks passed his poem on to his organist, Louis Redner. Could he set it to music? Redner tried. He tried and he tried. He spent hours and hours. He wanted to come up with a majestic rhapsody that would just be the, be the best for, for his pastor's poem. On Christmas Eve, 1868, he had nothing. Nothing at all. Redner burned out. He was at the end of his rope. He went to bed that night knowing he'd be letting his pastor down that next morning, Christmas morning. And sometime in the middle of the night, Redner deep asleep, he would say it was as if an angel whistled the tune in his ear. And he jumped out of bed. He rubbed the sleep out of his eye and he started writing the notes of this beautiful, unadorned, simple, straightforward melody to his pastor's poem. The music, it just, it fit perfectly to the words that had been written. And so it was that on that Christmas morning, 1868, a little town of Bethlehem was sung for the very first time in the Holy Trinity Church, Philadelphia. One biographer writes, the hymn and its music at once sprang into popularity. And how did it come to be? Phillips Brooks, he was on the verge of burnout. His musician, Redner, had come up empty. How did it all turn around? How can it all turn around for any of us when we're burned out? And have you felt that lately? How many have felt it? The stresses, the strains of a pandemic. It just isn't quitting, is it? I mean, I'm reading headlines Cases are doubling every day. It's brought pain. It's brought loss. It's brought sorrow. It's affected lives. It's affected livelihoods. People are at the end of the rope. They're burning out. You know, then there's been this, this, another school shooting locally here in our own community. It's put parents on edge. It's caused a, a lot of anxiety and stress. There's been all these copycats and students, and and even a teacher, even a teacher in a local school has been arrested for making threats. Parents are anxious. They're tense. Some want the schools to totally just close down. Go back to online. Not because of a pandemic, but because they they just want their kids safe. Some, Some are definitely trying to make positive change. There's no doubt about that. But as people try to make positive change, disagreement comes. There's contentions. There there is fights. Even families are broken. 
over pandemic issues. People aren't talking to one another. People are broken. And you know what? It would be great to just turn and run away, wouldn't it? We can't. We just can't run away from life, can we? Phillips Brooks took a sabbatical. He did take a time of rest. And rest is good. We need it. Rest is necessary. Rest is biblical. God called for a day of rest. We should observe it. We should do our best to rest. We all need it. We need time. And God set aside a time, he said, to to rest. You know, rest from these daily struggles. Rest from these issues that are causing you to burn out. But when God instituted this day of rest, there was another purpose for it. And that purpose was to trust him, to rely on him. And that, that is how fatigue, that's how stress, that's how burnout can turn around. By, by trusting in God, by resting in him. And that's the example we can take away from this account of, of Phillips Brooks. When he was trying so desperately to connect, he was trying to find the right words, but he just wanted to run away. You know, he had to convince himself not to do it. It's the example we can take from him. It's the example we can take from Redner, who was working so hard, working so hard, trying to get the right melody, coming up empty. I read to you last week the first half of Psalm number 46, and I want to finish it this morning. The last half of Psalm 46, verses 7 to 11. It says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I said it last week. I'll say it again. The Lord Almighty is with us. You know, his hand is in everything. It is. It's in everything. It's in war and it's in peace. And he says, be still and know that I am God. And that is the place. That is the place where both author and composer of a little town of Bethlehem, that is the place they had to get to. And that is the place when they found themselves, things began to change. They had come to this place where they, they were still. And when they did, their situation turned around. But still, it doesn't mean just stop and do nothing. It doesn't mean just go idle. It means to stop striving. As a matter of fact, some of the English versions of the Old Testament, they they don't read, be still and know that I am God. They read, stop striving and know that I am God. Stop striving. Stop trying to make something happen. Stop trying to do it under your own power. Surrender. Surrender to Almighty God. After all, he is with us. 
When, when Brooks went back to the foundation of his faith, Christ is the life. I don't live any longer. It's Christ in me. He could just rest in that. And he didn't have to rely on his oratory prowess and all of his education and, and his knowledge of language and linguistics. He relied on Christ and outflowed the right words, outflowed this beautiful depiction of Bethlehem. He had surrendered again his life to Jesus Christ. And when you hear that plain melody and you sing the unassuming and the humble lyrics of a little town of Bethlehem, be reminded, be reminded to surrender. Be reminded to stop striving. Be reminded to, to give up what you're trying to make happen, to give up your stress and your strain and your anxiety. Be reminded this, this song, it, it wasn't birthed by one straining and striving to make it happen, but it was birthed by one relying on Almighty God who is Jesus Christ. Are you on the brink of burning out? Are you on the edge of it this morning? Have you burned out? Do you want to run away? Let me tell you, I've had my days. I've had my days through this pandemic. I just wanted to run away. You know, a year-long sabbatical would look pretty good. People have pressured. People have pressured. Open back up, close down. Yeah, yeah, that, that brings a little bit of stress. It brings a little bit of strain. You're going to kill someone. You're doing this all wrong. Yes, I've had my days. And I've wanted to turn tail and run. I've got to remind myself. It's not me. It's Christ in me. Jesus. 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 Gotta be. Gotta be. Give me wisdom. Give me help. Let me be contented. What about you? Have you had those days? You're anxious. You're stressed. You're exhausted. You're striving. You want to make something different happen. You're working. You're working. But it seems altogether fruitless. What do you do? Surrender. Surrender. Surrender your life anew to Jesus. Be still and know that he is God. Verse 3, that last verse of a little town. It's a beautiful Magnificent prayer. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel, what a prayer.
It's a great prayer for those who've never, ever invited Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. Oh, cast out my sin and enter in. But it's also a prayer for Christians. A prayer for Christians who are at the end of their rope. A prayer for Christians who are fed up, who are burned out. They just want to run, run away from it all. It's for any Christian trying to convince themselves they're contented, but knowing full well they're discontented. For any who are on the verge of burnout, it's a great reminder. Stop trying to make it happen. Stop striving. Remember to surrender. Such a great, great reminder. Be still and pray. Pray, Jesus, descend on me. Jesus, descend on me. Be born in me. Be born afresh and new in me today. Abide with me. I will be still and know that you are God. You are. You are. Does anyone need that prayer this morning? Do you need it? How many of you need it? How about we, we stand and just, let's sing that last verse, that prayer. And then let's pray. If you need that prayer, if, if, you're, oh, if you're striving, if you're working, if you're frustrated, you're exhausted, pray this prayer with sincerity of heart this morning. Give it up. Surrender it to him. The almighty God, he's with us. God of Jacob. He is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. These altars are open. If you want to come and kneel and make your petition before the Lord, if you want to stay at your seat, that's okay. But if it's you today, struggling, you need to surrender, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For Jesus, for Jesus, the name that has power, the salvation of our Savior, who humbly came in that little town of Bethlehem, born as we all are. Lord, may the holy child of Bethlehem descend on us. God, if there's any, any who are here raising up their hand, raising up their hearts, saying, God, I've been striving. I have been contending. I have been trying to make it on my own. I need you. Lord, descend. Jesus, descend. Cast out the sin and enter in. Be born in them today. Be born in us today, God. Be born anew and afresh. Lord, we need, we need that refreshing. Be born in us. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts, we pray anew and afresh, Lord, that we surrender to you and we stop if we've been trying so much on our own. Lord, that we give it to you, our pain, our anxiety, our cares, all of it to you. Oh, descend on us, abide with us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. May your abiding presence carry every single one here, every single one connecting Digitally, God, may your abiding presence carry and keep and comfort all those who need it. And God, every time we hear this song from this day forward, may it remind us 
of surrender. Every time we hear, O little town of Bethlehem, God, may it just remind us to put our lives completely and totally into the hands of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May every single one leave with that blessing this morning. In the name of our Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen, amen.